You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. All right, pop, pop quiz, uh, pharmacist listeners out there. Who is the number one um, most important person in healthcare, in all of healthcare? If you answered any, but anyone and anybody on the healthcare team other than the patient, your answer was wrong. That is the most important person in healthcare is our patients and their patient voice. I have been so impressed with um, a person, a woman, a champion of pa the patient's voice who got to come on the pharmacy podcast in January of 2021. Bev, it's so wonderful to have you back, founder and uh, leading right now the Doctor Patient Forum, which everyone, if you're listening, the doctorpatientforum.com. Bev, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me back. I'm happy to be here. All right. And another uh, superstar of the patient's voice, uh, Claudia Miranda. You're the founder of the na the nations and, and knowing of this organization I've known for quite some time. Uh, Don't punish the uh, pain rally uh, organization. Claudia, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks for having me, Todd. I'm going to kick it over to you first, Claudia, and then I'm going to come back to Bev. I want the our listeners to understand uh, who you are and what your mission is and why you have lit so many fires in the name of patient voice and, and what it's meant to you. So right, be, right after the 2016 CDC guidelines came out discussing opioid prescribing, uh, I had lived in a hospital bed for 10 years with Crohn's disease. I lost my, I lost everything because my illness was so severe and I was accused of drug seeking one day at the emergency room. And after I was accused of drug seeking, I was humiliated. My port was still accessed. I left the ER and I had to get rushed back in. Uh, and then I was rushed in for a colostomy bag and that would just change my whole life. Not, it was just a nightmare for me. And my mom, she's 88, she's soon to be 88. She says, wow, she said, if this, if this is happening to somebody like you, this must be happening to others. I went on social media and I said, I'm going to announce, I'm going to organize a protest, a nationwide protest for people who can't get their pain treated and who are accused of being drug seekers. Started with three members. Today, there's chapters in all 50 states. We're the largest pain advocacy organization in the country. And if you follow me, you know I'm not your traditional advocate, right? No. <laughs> um, I don't think you pull punches is what is, is what's happening. I don't. I'm, I'm a straight shooter. I have zero tolerance for ignorance. Uh, I don't like excuses. And uh, here we are today, over 30,000 members, many of them pharmacists, many of them doctors, mostly patients who have been cut off of their pain medication to what I believe was to satisfy a political agenda, the war against FDA-approved opioids. I found my colleague, Bev, contacted me from the hospital bed. She was re-victimized by a hospitalist when she was also admitted with Crohn's disease and kidney stones, and she called me crying. 
She said, they're not, get, they won't treat my pain. They, it's because of a, they were weaponizing her history as a survivor of pre-adolescent abuse. Fast forward to today, we've had to learn everything that doctors know, everything that pharmacists know, everything that the feds know, every way prosecutors have attacked doctors. So we are well-versed on every way that the provider has been targeted, the patient has been targeted, and how they've targeted these people. And you know, if you if you happen to listen to us, you you hear my voice, head to our website, thedoctorpatientforum.com. Take advantage because I'll tell you what, I've got more than one pharmacy owner that contacted me and said, "I'm getting cut off of my my I'm getting yeah. cut off. My distributor is yeah. cutting me off because I yes, cater to pain patients." And that was another, uh, you know, we had to get versed on that too. I'm a court reporter. <laughs> I'm yeah. a former court reporter and I'm a bodybuilder. Other than that, I have, you know, and I'm a mom. I didn't know any of this, but now we are. I, I say we're extremely well versed on this. Uh, and because of Bev, I think I, I, if I was a betting person, I'd say one of these universities is going to scoop Bev up and then we're all shit out of luck. So, <laughs> Uh, we're doing our thing. We're raising awareness to, I, I see, I'm different. I like to raise awareness to who's responsible for the 600% in deadly overdoses, right? Because everybody's making money off of my community and I'm not going to have it. So that's who I am. That's what we do. And we hope to end the suffering one day. So Bev, just to catch everyone yep. up if they didn't hear you in January of 2021. Let's yep. um, let's talk about your background and your mission as well. So as Claudia said, um, I had seen her on Facebook because we were in Crohn's groups together because we both have Crohn's and I saw her talking about this issue maybe just two weeks before this horrible situation that happened to me in the hospital. I also had been in and out of the hospital for many, many years, had kidney stones with Crohn's disease, which is not uncommon, and uh, went to the emergency room, was admitted. I had several kidney stones, and uh, the hospitalist treated me like really a criminal because um, I had a history of childhood sexual abuse, and I, I, I was in my 40s. I had never, I was like, what are you talking about? And he was nasty, and it was the worst experience I'd ever had in a hospital. And it's a teaching hospital, so they did in front of a bunch of other people too. And I I remembered seeing Claudia. And so I just messaged her, can I call you? And I just sobbed on the phone, hysterically crying. And we've talked every day since. And, and then she started this organization. And the way I like to handle things is I have to figure it out. Like, why did this happen? Why did they use this as an excuse? What is going on? And so then I I would just research and read and read, and that led me to learning about different risk tools, like the opioid risk tool and the NARCS care and the PDMP and all of this uh, this information. And I just kept studying and studying to try to figure it out. And the more I learned about it, the more I was like, oh my gosh, this is all for money. Like this is, like Claudia said, they're capitalizing off of the suffering of our community and nobody seems to know what to do about it. Like no one's doing anything to fix it. Um, so that's how it started. And I, I was one of the original three members of Don't Punish Pain Rally. And then I did back out for about a year because it became a brutal community. And then I, I went back in and we, um, 
Claudia started the, the nonprofit. And since then, we built the website, then we started a Patreon page, we started a podcast about a year ago. And so I think that I think I know that we're growing. I mean, I'm not happy that we're growing because it just means that more people are suffering. Yeah. Um, and, and as Claudia always says, like, we're the ones they call before they want to to, to blow their brains out. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I hear from people. It's either suicide or the street. If you can't help me, then it's one of those two things. And it's uh, it's hard. It's heavy to carry all of that all the time, all of these stories. Because people wouldn't believe the stories we hear. They, they, they just, they wouldn't believe them. Terrible. How much of the $6 billion that has been settled for Purdue, how much of that are you guys getting? The 60 billion, nothing. We're getting nothing. And I've applied for grants. I spent months and months with someone who who volunteered his time so kindly to help us, who knows all about grants. And we applied for several grants and we were denied everyone because we are not entitled, even though we really are overdose prevention, right? Because people yeah. are going to the street. Doesn't matter. We are not included. No one mentions pain patients. No one seems to care. And so we are getting none of that money, which is why we started a Patreon page, because we have to figure out a way to get funding. You said 60 billion. I thought it was 60. 60. Well, 60. 60. That's just for the MDL. That's not for the individual lawsuits against doctors. And yeah, 60. $60 billion in multi-district litigation. And they're still saying they don't have enough funding. Like, how much do you need? Todd, one of the most important things that we've achieved is legislation has been born out of the doctor-patient forum. Six years ago, I went to my local lawmaker. Our, our kids played tennis together. And I was in and out of the hospital. So my mom would be there with him. And uh, today he's our secretary of state. And I said, you know, his name's Greg Amore. I said, I need help, Greg. It's going to get bad. And when I first went to the state house, they looked at me like I was crazy. You want what? And I looked at them. I said, get used to me because I'm not going anywhere. I said, and one day you're going to need me. And today I can't tell you the number of lawmakers that call me for help. Judges. I had a judge call me as her son has ALS. They were, and they said, oh no, he's gonna choose between his benzo or his opioid. I was like, that, that's not gonna happen. Oh, so now uh, Governor Dan McKee just signed my second piece of legislation into law, which protects doctors. So Rhode Island, we were the first and thankfully other states have followed suit. I've met with the pharmacy board in Rhode Island uh, and they have no, they were so uh, unhelpful because they were clueless. Most people are clueless about this issue, yeah. but I had no idea just how clueless public health officials were until I was in a conference room with them. And I remember leaving, I was like, oh my God, this is very scary because these are some of the dumbest people God created and they are in charge of our, of our country and they seek yeah. guidance yeah. From, from these special interest groups. Yeah. who helped write the CDC guidelines. So legislation was necessary. Now we need to do more to protect the pharmacists because pharmacists are afraid. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wasn't it part of the one of the settlements? I forget which one that now the pharmacist has to, if they deny a script to a patient, they now have to record that so that the next pharmacist the patient goes to, it's going to be in the system. So let's stigmatize the patient more. Let's give more reason for the patient not to be able to get their opioids. And I want to tell you the thing that bothers, well, it all bothers me, but one of the things that bothers me so much is people forget that we're sick. Like just getting our medication is not the end of our trouble. Like when you have Crohn's disease, I mean, and and this is the thing, like I, when you have Crohn's disease, you're, you're, I mean, sometimes you got to rest after taking a shower when you, when you're in a flare up, like you can't leave the house. And, and so the, the pressure they're putting on people who are sick and they're, they're erasing the sickness. It, it's like, they forget that there's a reason they've turned it all into a mental illness or malingering or Munchausen's or whatever they call it. And all of a sudden illness doesn't exist anymore. Pain doesn't exist no. anymore. Anyone who says they're sick or in pain, it's purely for drug seeking purposes. So get out of here. That's how we're all treated. Yeah. Everybody's an addict. Everybody's a liar. Everybody's even. a lingerer. But not even not even addicts, because at least they're talking about giving more compassion to people who use drugs, which needs to happen. And I'm so grateful. But we're not entitled to this compassion. It's like the most hated group right now are people who use drugs for chronic pain and will not say that we are addicted because we aren't. It doesn't mean we're better than those who are. But, you know, it, it's like they're all wanting for us to say. Now, if I came forward to and I said. I was on opioids for 10 years and I developed an addiction. I would be a hero, applauded, yeah. bravo. But if I say I've been on opioids for 10 to 20 years and it's helped my pain, I'm a villain. That's how this country has 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 framed it. And we've got to change it because it's people are dying and they're going to continue to die if something doesn't change. The way that some of the literature that's published on the medical journals, one from National Library of Medicine, um, it says the role of the pharmacist in care of patients with chronic pain. And if you read this article, which is um, not re very much referencing per se, the interaction with the patient, um, but it it's very black and white as to what they are uh, noting with regards to uh, types of pain diagnostic and in in reason that it starts and therapeutic monitoring and um, cost and access to medication like it's very black and white. So when we before we all three of us you know started push press the record button, we were all talking about a common denominator um, to so that if you have disagreements, which means like if the three of us disagree on something. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we can't forward the mission to still right. advocate for the patient and the patient's voice and the patient's needs. And right. the fact that we are the, I'm not a pharmacist, neither any of us on this call are pharmacists. I'm not a doctor and neither are the three of us are the other doctors. Yeah. We are the patients. You know, we have, I have a patient voice because I am a patient. I I just actually had my uh, annual physical, but it, it I was three years late. So I got I get, uh, scolded for missing, but it was, it was, it was a way for me, my eyes to be open when I interviewed you originally, Bev, because I didn't realize that it was so fractional and it was so divided, uh, Crohn disease over here, pain management over here, That's right. and then continue to compound that. And polypharmacy comes into it where now, 
um, you're just ignored or you might have lost a doctor or gone to a specialist and they're starting to prescribe other things. I want our listeners today, I want our pharmacists today to constantly reference back to what you're saying. We can't give out CE for this, but this is just as good as CE because it's coming from two people who have experienced that pain and living with that pain. And, And now you're being, you know, I mean, think 30,000 people compared to what's really out there. I mean, if you went to Google right now and said, you know, you know, people in the United States living with pain, right? There's probably a number, but 30,000 people who feel like they don't have a voice in the world of pain management and how they've been labeled as um, addicts or being addicted. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just on, on Facebook, on TikTok, Claudia has 300,000, 300,000 who have found her because they're desperate and they don't know what to do. And now we're hearing from more, um, not just chronic, it's acute pain at an increasing rate because the updated CDC guidelines really were more about acute pain. So now we're having people, I had my leg cut off. I wasn't allowed opioids. I had open heart surgery, no opioids. Double. I mean, they're so there's so much. And the one thing that bothers me that we talked about this before is the patient voice is left out. We talk about patients with lived experience when we talk about drug addiction, which is great. It needs to happen. But they do not allow the pain patient to speak unless they developed an addiction from opioids. But for the pain patient who took opioids, that it helped them, we are not allowed a voice anywhere ever, not with the addiction community, not with harm reduction, not with anyone. We are just erased. And so that's why they all find us because we're really the only ones representing them who will listen and say, you're right. What's happening is is criminal and it needs to stop. And I will listen to you. I mean, one thing we offer is coaching calls on our Patreon page. And a lot of times they really do just want to cry to us because nobody else will listen. No one will listen. Yeah. And, and no one wants, no one wants to know what the pain patient went through. I don't know, Todd, did you listen to the eight hour? There were two eight hour listening sessions on the DEA telehealth yesterday and the day or two days before. I did not. Okay. Yeah. Claudia didn't either, but I listened to it like a big fat loser. And um, in that thing, there were probably about 20 uh, addiction specialists who spoke and that was great. It was very well representative for people who need Suboxone and Adderall. There was not one doctor who spoke on behalf of a pain patient. There was a hospice doctor who spoke about end of life patients, but not one doctor or patient was there to speak on behalf of pain patients. There was one pain organization. It was a pharmacist who spoke, Juan Castillo, and he's phenomenal. But no one even wants to say, wait a second, schedule two to chronic pain patients who can't leave their bed. They're they're, they're in wheelchairs. They can't, nope, nope. Nah, we don't need to talk about us because, you know, we don't count. We're erased. Todd, it's almost like, you know, some of the best advice uh, a lobbyist gave me. He's like, just wait till it happens to them. And six years ago, it wasn't. But now I think I can say everyone is affected. And you only have a 50% chance of getting your pain treated. And if you're already on that on the state's database, the PDMP, that's reduced to 25%. And these poor people, their their blood pressure is so elevated because of untreated pain. But this narrative that's been created, well, you can't die from pain. Absolutely. You can die from pain. Somebody that serves our board in a voluntary capacity, 
her husband committed suicide uh, after his pain medication was reduced by half. His name was Brent Sloan. And uh, Sonia found the courage. I'm sorry, it's the dog. I'm sorry. Uh, Sonia found the courage to sue, and they were awarded $17 million because of these horrible, horrible interventional pain clinics that are really taking advantage of people. Yeah, it's it's um, mind boggling to me that it's gotten like this. And I don't I didn't really think about it. I, I've never suffered with chronic pain. Um, so I I can't come at this from someone who understands. Um, there's a lot of pharmacists out there who have never experienced chronic pain, so they can't come at it from a um, you know experience either. But we shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to have cancer to advocate for a cancer patient or HIV, or like we said before we started recording, we started listing, why are people and patients who have, um, uh, you know, a blood disorder, why are those patients uh, treated differently than someone that is dealing with chronic pain based on something that happened to them, or people that have developed something like a fibromyalgia issue where they can't even identify, and I know we're all lobbying it into that term but yeah. nobody's given us reason as to some reason why nerves are firing off and doing things that they are creating pain that we can't get to work and we can't get up and we can't do anything and and claudia you said now it now it starts to cascade into high blood pressure hypertension uh, more medications being taken that's bad on your liver that's bad on your kidneys so on and so forth so what can you tell a pharmacist right now listening that you want them to understand? That's number one. What do you want them to understand about people that are dealing with pain? And then number two, what can they do? Like, what do you suggest that they do to advocate for that patient that's experiencing something, knowing that that patient is being cornered and being labeled? I'm going to answer one of the questions and I'm going to have Bev answer the other as an advocate, I want to, and I've said this to many pharmacies and pharmacists in Rhode Island, what can I do to help you? How can I make you feel more comfortable so you can dispense this script? And we've had pharmacists on our podcast, the Doctor Patient Forum, but there's so many loop, there's so many barriers that people have to jump through. And with all of these safety measures, overdoses have never been higher. So for pharmacists, what can I do to what can I do to help? Uh, because that's I think that's where I shine. I want to make this a better situation for the pharmacist. So what are the barriers? And uh, one pharmacist contacted me from Florida, a young she was young, and she said, Oh my God, the DEA comes in here and they shut, they lock the store. And then they start auditing us. And this is very scary because these are pharmacists. These aren't law enforcement, right? They're not attorneys, but it happens to the pharmacist. It happens to the doctor. So, you know, how can I help the pharmacist? And I think a really important part is lawyers are driving this whole horrible yeah. situation. And we've got to remove law enforcement from the pharmacy, from the clinic, so we can make things better. But if you are a pharmacist and, you know, everything's been done correctly on the doctor's end, please do not stress these people out any more than they've already been stressed. I mean, throughout the pandemic, these poor people had to go to the doctor in prison because, in person, I should say, because if they didn't, then 
the DEA would eventually catch up with these doctors. And that's exactly what happened. I remember at the beginning of COVID, I said to Bev, I said, Bev, mark my words, right? The DEA is encouraging telemedicine. And I told these doctors, don't you dare do it because the DEA, they have a short memory and they're going to come back. And when they come back, they're going to come back because there's no more doctors to they're, they're looking, they're always preying on uh, providers, on pharmacists. So uh, fill, please fill the script. And if you don't feel comfortable filling the script, well, give these people a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, there's a, I'm sure you know, there's a class action lawsuit against CVS. Headquarters are based out of Rhode Island, uh, specific to this issue. But you can't just not fill a script because you don't feel comfortable because the doctor wrote the script. So pick up the phone, call the doctor and work it out with the doctor. But for the love of gravy, don't leave this person without medication. Yeah. I I mean, the thing that I would want them to know is, and this is the part that no one talks about. I want you to know what the patient has gone through before they come into your store. So first, they're a nervous wreck for the week and a half before their monthly visit. And I know because they call me crying hysterically because they're so afraid their doctor's going to cut them off. So that goes on for about 10 days. Then they've already had their random pill count, their random urine screen. They go to the doctor and they have to have another urine screen, lots of false positives and negatives. So they go through that whole nonsense. Some doctors even force the patient to have a witnessed urine screen. So now they have to watch some, they're being watched going to the bathroom to make sure that it's really them to give this sample and then maybe they're one pill short or whatever and so they're going to be humiliated they're humiliated every month of the doctor's office it's 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 absolutely humiliating the way the doctor talks to them and forces them to well what have you done um are you depressed and then there's the questions are you depressed were you sexually abused all these risk tools and you can't be honest with your doctor if you're depressed if you cry all of these rules right you can't dress too nicely and you can't not you can't cry you can't be happy can't look at your phone like there's a whole set of rules a game the patient has to play and then if they get this prescription now they got to go to the pharmacy and that's if they could find a pharmacy with the medication to begin with, because mm. obviously, and that's not the pharmacist's fault at all. No one even has them. But then if you have to go from pharmacy to pharmacy, then your risk score goes up, then you're looked like a pharmacy shopper. So I just want the pharmacist to know before that patient even comes in to see you, they've been through hell and they're still scared. They're not going to get this filled. And it's not because they're lying, drug seeking, it's because they're treated like a criminal. And so if you could just be kind to them, I get it. You have to look at the diagnosis. You have to make sure it's okay. I'm not saying not to do your job, but please don't humiliate them in front of other patients. Don't say, hey, I can't fill your, because we get that all the time. They call us from the pharmacy sobbing because the pharmacist just told me that I'm a drug addict and that they can't give me my prescription. And now I don't know what to do. And now it's Friday and I'm not going to have anything till Monday. And uh, just be kind. Please be kind to these patients because so many of them really are at they're they're at the end of their rope and they have nobody to turn to. So with the research that you've both done and an intense amount of research and the doctor patient forum, once again, uh, today's episode is brought to you and sponsored by the doctor patient forum. Go to the doctorpatientforum.com. So I want to understand has any organization of any type, and it's a shout out to any organization listening right now, 
reached out to you because of all of the data and all the reference that you have in order to help um, make a, a process in place in order to identify the difference between a true pain patient and someone who is suffering with addiction or suffering with dependency on whatever medication. It doesn't even have to be an opioid, by the way, because I right. think your I think what you've unpacked with all of this data and all this research, that there would be other usages for some of the information that you have accessible. But ha have you ever been able to participate in helping to curb new policies, especially in like in the state of uh, Rhode Island where you are, Claudia, to help develop a new way of thinking instead of uh, shutting out the patient's voice who's suffering with pain? Well, I've met with the Rhode Island Health Department and uh, they're working on uh, a CME about harmful effects from opioid tapering. Now, that's what they said they would do, but it's always a surprise. And when I see an email from them, my heart sinks because I never know if they're going to make the situation worse. But, you know, when I met with them, I basically said, you've created a horrible situation. Uh, overdoses have never been higher. Uh, it, it probably wasn't such a great idea to restrict what a doctor could prescribe. And I think when I serve it up like that, it's usually crickets in the room, but nobody's willing to, like they've got this ridiculous, you can't get more than 30 morphine mill equivalent after surgery. Well, that's just stupid because I, so I'm advocating for a man that's 6'5", 250 pounds, he's probably going to need, you know, more than that. And maybe, maybe he doesn't need any, but they've created these horrible regulations. But no, nobody has ever come to us and said, well, we want to change the system and we want to write policy about this. And I think it's because they're all funded by they all receive money to speak out against opioids and they all receive money to promote buprenorphine and gabapentin for pain. And it's, they don't work. I mean, neither one of those medications have indications for pain. I just, I just got a text from a mom. Her son broke his nose and they wanted to give him Suboxone in the emergency room. He's opioid naive. He'll die. I mean, that's so, yeah, that's great. Claudia. No, I, and I, nobody's helped us. No, we need somebody. We need strong people to reach out to us and say, we want to do this. This is very yeah. controversial work. So we need, there's not enough leaders in this country. That's the problem. Everyone's a follower, Todd. We need yeah. leaders. Yeah. But Claudia, in addition to that, I would have to say, and I hope this is okay to say, not only have we not been actively included, we have been actively kept out of the conversation because we are the only organization talking about patient abandonment, forced opioid tapers. No one is helping these patients. I say it a million times a day till I'm blue in the face. And there are a couple organizations in our country, government funded, that are supposed to be taking care of, of at least discussing this about these patients. And we have have been actively banned from attending those webinars. We have actively been kept out. So I don't know, is it because they don't want us to tell the truth or I'm not really sure what the situation is, but uh, but no, it's it's the opposite. We have actively been kept out of the discussion. Now, when it comes to like NARCS care, which was like what I researched the most at first, we have managed to get it into some media and some people have contacted us and that has more discussion, which I'm thrilled about, but about patient abandonment, 
nope, they won't let us be part. They will not let us be part of the discussion. I don't know if it's because we're too controversial or, or they don't like Claudia or they don't like me or whatever the situation. But if you don't want us to be part, then you do it. Then you represent these patients because nobody is representing these patients. Like the, you know, the, the DEA will shut a doctor's down, a doctor's office down, hundreds of patients. No one does anything. The doctor dies. Same thing. Doctors are just dismissing pain patients because they're afraid and I don't blame the doctor, but there's nothing to help these patients. Nothing. The drug dealers, they'll help these patients. Todd, Beth, Todd, Beth discovered this program called the Opioid Rapid Response Program by the CDC. They've, they received money, a lot of money. Beth was the only one that learned about this. So of course, because Bev doesn't have an MD or a JD or a PhD after her name, you know, her research is never recognized. And that bothers me probably more than it does Bev. But let me tell you about this program, because all of this research shows, well, they're supposed to be the CDC Opioid Rapid Response Program. They were supposed to have two trusted contacts in each state for when a doctor is shut down by the DEA. Once again, our government shoots first, ask later. Mm. Right. So we're going to we're going to arrest all the doctors because this is a great idea. We're going to take away. We're going to cut off everybody if their pain medication because this is a great idea. Well, wait a minute. What what's happening to the patients? Well, Bev learns about this program. A lady from the CDC, she contacts. I'm not going to say her name for legal reasons. Well, there's no trusted contacts. So I call the Rhode Island Department of Health. I put my lobbyist on an email. I put my lawmakers on this email. I said, I need to know who the two trusted contacts are in the state of Rhode Island from the Opioid Rapid Response Program. No, they've never heard of this program. Now, this program is funded. Where's the money? And who are the people involved? Who are these trusted contacts? And they're like, oh, and then the, the DEA was actually supporting their efforts. We've got all of this. All of this research is on our Patreon page, so please support that Patreon page. But Bev found all of these these, these sound bites and the DEA, they're like, oh, yes, yeah, so we would never shut down a doctor unless there wasn't somebody there to provide continuity of care. Yeah. Who, who, who is it? They don't exist. They're all, Todd, yeah. they're all liars. They're all liars. And this is why we're always on the phone with senators. Uh, and one day a senator is going to say, wait a minute, what's going on here? What, what happened to all of this money? What, what, what happened to the pain patients? In 10 years, you're going to see a senator shaking his fist at the God, saying, how did this happen? They don't care. About it. Nobody cares about saving lives. It was all about this yeah. vilifying the Sackler family. I, I could give two shits about the Sackler family, just so you know, but the Sackler family isn't doing anything else that the makers of Suboxone are doing today. It's all the same thing, but it was convenient to vilify a molecule. Well, guess yeah. what? When people had access to that molecule, they were living. Now they're dying. Can I tell you something, Todd? Can you cut yeah. this out if you don't want this to be in the show? <laughs> no, For real. Like, I if want you, you to say, wanna... I want you okay. to speak to pharmacists. So I'm going to tell you. Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you what happened so people know how much pain patients are being kept out. So Project Echo joined forces with, uh, Project Echo is a great organization, joined forces with the Opioid Rapid Response Program. They did this eight-part series where people were allowed to go and attend the webinar where they presented cases. And I went to this webinar and I was actually asked privately by the head of Echo to present. And I'm like, hey, I'm just a patient advocate. I'm not a clinician. You probably don't want it. And she's like, no, I really, really want it. We need to hear these patients' stories. Well, all of a sudden, the next week, I was banned. I wasn't even allowed to go, let alone speak. So I submitted a FOIA 
And in that FOIA, they don't know that I submitted a FOIA. In that FOIA, it says we can't allow any pain patient advocates to come to these meetings specifically. I could send it to you. So you tell me why. We are a pain patient organization representing patient abandonment, exactly what that program is doing. And they specifically, not addiction patients, not harm reduction patients, advocates, not specific pain patient advocates cannot come to these, these meetings. And I want to know why. All right. So switch this around for me, Claudia, and pretend that I'm a fly on the wall between you and either a pharmacist or a physician or someone. What are the, what people that have disagreed with you over the years? It's only been like three or four, so I'm sure it's okay. <laughs> but what are they going to say? What, what If I get emails after publishing this podcast from a pharmacist out of, you know, Illinois, Chicago, Illinois, and they're like, Todd, I can't believe you published this podcast with these two controversial people. Like, like what, are they, what, the, what could they possibly say that, that is so bad about what your organization is trying to do? And how would they spin it to make it seem like it was negative for public health? Oh, we've got that. We've got this down to a science. So here's, I'm always met. This is the three things I'm accused of. I'm pharma funded. I'm not, I'm a volunteer. People don't, they don't understand why I would volunteer. I'm a volunteer. My, my nonprofit pays people. So if you're listening, I'm a volunteer. And if you're wondering why I've dedicated my life to this, because I made a promise to somebody up there. And I said, if I get out of this hellhole hospital one day, I promise to pay it forward. So this is me paying it forward. The second thing I'm accused of is I'm violent. I'm this, I'm not violent. I'm the most peaceful person you'll ever meet in your life. I don't, I don't have a tolerance for stupid people, right? I'm a straight. And the third thing is, uh, I'm, I'm an, I work for the Sackler family. I all this re- <laughs> and then no the fourth thing I'm an undercover DEA agent, right? I'm Is none that? of those. But we're always accused of being pharma funded when in fact, when in fact, we don't we rely on donations and the Patreon page and Bev and I could easily open up a consulting firm today. We're the most sought after patient advocate yeah. In the country, and I could probably charge people $250 an hour, mm-hmm. but instead we charge people $30 for a coaching call. And then I'm like, listen, if you can't afford it, cancel it and just support our $5 membership. So clearly we are poor activists, right? But Claudia, <laughs> the other two things that they say, well, and that, that this is going to be, this is, you probably will hear about this, Todd. So someone will probably contact you when that, uh, that patient shot the doctor and in Oklahoma and and murdered the doctor and himself. Um, Claudia made a video on TikTok and what she meant was, you know, things like this can happen when pain isn't treated. But what she said was, this is what happens when you don't treat pain. So that made its round. And then all of a sudden, everyone was saying Claudia condones murder. Claudia does not condone murder. She did not condone the murder of this person. So that's probably the biggest one you're going to hear. And then people say that we stigmatize people who use drugs. When we first got into this, we didn't know anything about addiction. I didn't know anything about addiction. We've had to change everything, how we talk and and what we say, and and um, you know, we're learning is all I can say. We do our I best. Don't, I don't change anything I say, and Bev, it makes Bev crazy. I once I post it, it's posted. I'm not a person that says, "Oh, should I have said?" No, I said it because I meant to say yeah. it. 
Yeah, but you don't I, say anything to specifically hurt a person. If they no, and you know care. what? Yeah. And here's the other thing. These people claim they care about addicts. They don't care about addicts because I organize these in-person support group meetings, right? I feed people. They come to the support group because they're poor. Poor people are treated like dogs in this country. No way. You, these people that speak out against, oh, we've got to take the stigma away. Then where are you when they call me at three o'clock in the morning? Right. These poor people, they're losing their teeth because they've been on Suboxone all these years. Oh, that's the other thing. You'll probably hear that Claudia works with the law firm uh, that's suing the makers of Indivier for Suboxone Dental Decay. Once again, I'm a volunteer and uh, I have the law firm's information on the website because these people shouldn't have lost their teeth. And they are losing their teeth. And this is, and what we've done as a country, we've glamorized Suboxone. Oh, need need some pain relief? Here, have Suboxone. Got the car seats are dirty? Here, try some Suboxone. Like, stop glamorizing this medication while vilifying OxyContin. So that's why I'm so vocal about this. Why is it okay? I, and this is... You're probably going to get some pharmacists. Well, nobody should be on opioids long term. Why not? Nobody can answer me. One, well, then they then they need more and more. I never needed more and more. Try again. Okay. What else? What else okay. do you've got? You know, like, oh, well, pain patients, we're going to, they're violent and they'll need higher doses. No, that's not true. We've debunked that lie too. And we debunk the lie. And when we debunk the lies, it's you're pharma funded. You don't like that. No, no. We're truthful people. We're an evidence-based yeah. organization. And you're either going to have leadership qualities and lead the fight, or you're going to be a follower and, and yeah. do what all the other followers do. And it's hard. I mean, we. I am angry. I'm angry every single day because the stories I hear from these people, what, it, unless you have a 30-year-old woman call you hysterically crying and saying, I have two little children and I'm going to have to leave them because I can't live in this pain anymore. You have no idea what we're talking about. Like, we're not just saying, oh, we want all the opioids for everyone all the time. That's not what we're saying. But there's 15 studies to show that if you're on opioids, regardless of dose and duration, cutting them off is worse than leaving them on. So why are we even having the discussion? We have to figure out a way to keep these patients on this medication. Doctors are afraid. I get it. Then this country needs to come up with some solution. Get DOJ to back off. Figure out a hotline. Figure something out with the $60 billion because there's $8 million on daily opioids for pain. And they're going to be dead if they don't do something really soon. I mean, it's, 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 it is a crisis level. You know, there's two to three million with OUD and our country reacted in a crisis and it, it, it was a crisis level. But this is also and we need the same. We need some urgency coming forward and saying patients shouldn't be cut off and don't dismiss them is not cutting it because. OK, so so how? And, and Todd, we don't advocate just for opioids. That's the other thing. Oh, well, there's so many alternatives to opioids. No, there's not. There's there's the interventional pain industry that's really taken advantage of my community, right? Yeah. They I, they probably hate me a little bit more than the makers of Suboxone, but not as much as the DEA. You know why? Because they have they 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 bank on people being desperate, and they're forcing people into getting epidural steroid injections, which are banned in other countries, which are not approved by the FDA. They're forcing people. I had somebody with Crohn's disease go to interventional pain and they tried to sell this poor guy 
a spinal cord stimulator. I was so pissed. I called the office. I said, who do you think you are? But yeah. I think, so we don't, Bev and I, it's not like we're, we're nilly willy opioid advocates. Yeah. We've got children, right? And it's not like, oh, my daughter has a head cold. Well, here, Ava, have, a, have an Oxycontin. It's not like that. But, yeah. uh, and if anything, I was in a, we lived in, I lived in a hospital bed for you 10 did. years. Why was I never overserved Oxycontin, Todd? Why was I, why didn't I graduate to street drugs? Because drugs don't cause addiction. Trauma causes addiction. Environment right. causes addiction. And we need all hands on deck right now because we know that the CDC conflated overdoses, right? They, they're like, oh, well, there's 100,000. And then it was 67,000. Then it was like, oops, well, more like 17,000. How many people died from prescription pain medication alone in this country? Because I call every day different medical examiners, zip, nada. And people are like, well, you can't. Yeah. And they're like, well, you can't say zero. Yes, I can. You have to prove me wrong and nobody can. And that's, yeah. That's really scary in the country. And I got to say one more thing, because I was on a call with Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, right? Oh, my God. He's clueless. Our senators are clueless. He actually, because I call, I hung up, I called Bev. I said, oh, my God. When your senator says, well, what do you want me to do? Huh? Yeah. Yep. So, Nobody knows what to do. Everyone's pointing the finger at each other. And everyone just keeps out putting more CMEs. I, felt, I saw a new one yesterday, again, saying, you know, the FDA and CDC say don't cut people off. Okay. When is someone going right. to come up with a solution? We need solutions. Todd. We like, need rescue clinics. We yeah. need rescue clinics being be run by pharmacists. That's yeah. what we need. PharmDs to come yeah. together and say, I'm going to work at a rescue clinic. Well, what's a rescue clinic? The same thing that a harm reduction center yeah. is, needs, but it's for yeah. pain patients. That's yeah. what we need. There and needs. it can be done. This yeah. can all be achieved, but we need leaders. I don't want any followers. So if you're a follower, yeah. don't call me. I only want leaders. Makes sense. <laughs> Makes I'm sense. Like, oh, Thanks. I should have had these people on the show. I'll be like, oh, okay. All right. I'll see Bye. you guys later. See Bye. <laughs> Sorry, no. Todd. You're gonna no. Todd, this is gonna we're be one of your this. most listened to podcasts. <laughs> Okay. Either that or he's gonna be like, oh, something happened to the recording that it didn't work. Um, I can't put it's just, on my air. It's just no no. It didn't. We call it buffer. It didn't yeah. buffer the right way. <laughs> yeah, something bad happened. No, we're just passionate because we hear a lot of suffering all the so time. I, I wanna make <clears throat> I wanna make some comparisons. So why were COVID deaths between whatever time that they started to um pay attention to numbers of people dying from um the flu or whatever component of because flu victims didn't seem like they were being counted between a certain period of time meaning between 2019 and what 2021 is that when is that how long the pandemic lasted or whatever they so. said i don't know maybe it's still going on and they don't want to say that it's over but yeah. All of those deaths that were labeled COVID-19, we know today, based on people coming forward and saying what was factual and data-driven, that in fact it wasn't. It was somebody who died on a motorcycle accident and they had COVID. Or That's right. somebody oh, had God, a heart attack going, and oh, they God, had COVID. We're going down this. We're going down this go. rabbit hole. It's the no. same thing. But yeah. it, what I'm saying is that's comparing it to what you're saying with regards to the deaths that are being yes. caused by 
the components yes. of what is an opioid yes. in order to shut down the respiratory system. Yes. So what I want pharmacists listening to this right now is I want you to, to reach out to this organization to give information to them in support of understanding how that actually takes place and how it can, like Bev, how can it be solved if if we're not going down the opioid um, the opioid treatment path oh, with the guys and with the oversight of a pharmacist who's passionate about it, um, then what's next? Like what is, because by the way, cannabis is still scheduled one, right? And it's still illegal in my state, even medically illegal. But, in North Carolina. but it's what I'm saying is, is they're not allowing research to be done Correct. to it in order to make something truly happen. And we can talk about anxiety. We can talk about sleep. We can talk about That's right. uh, nerve or, or um, uh, pain management. We can talk about, um, you know, there's all these other things that could come out of this. So I understand now my, I'm not as naive as I used to be because, um, you know, people have told me that I put even pharmacists on pedestals and yeah. everybody's human. Everybody has made mistakes. I said at the beginning of this podcast, the three of us could disagree on something and still be um, supporting patients that are suffering with pain and being able to at least get a solution in place in order to do something about it. So what is a next step? What is your suggestion for listeners? The, the My first step, I'll fill in the blank. You guys get the second step. So the first step is I want everybody listening to go to the doctorpatientforum.com and look at their resources. Uh, go to the contact page, uh, get involved in some way. If you disagree with Claudia and Beverly, come to the table with a solution regardless, because you said there's 300,000 people that have been gravitated towards you, Claudia, that are looking for solutions. Those people need a pharmacist. They need somebody. By the, I've been told, and I agree with this statement, a guy named Gil Bash said this to me. Gil Bash is kind of like one of, he reminds me of Yoda in the way he's so good at communications. <laughs> he's just a gentleman. <laughs> and he oversees 17 offices in healthcare of communication and public relations. And he said, the, the pharmacist is the advocate of the patient's voice. And I was like, that's actually true because they're the ones calling yeah. up the insurance company and saying, why did you deny this claim? They're the ones talking to the patient's family. They're the one talking to the physician and helping the physician understand what you know they found out from the patient. And there's a lot of non-pharmacological things happening between yeah. the patient and the pharmacist because they understand yeah. things in a way that a nurse might not understand or that a physician might not understand. And this is a pharmacist-driven podcast anyway. So this needs to be the pharmacist listening. We need your help is basically what we're saying. I mean, we I can wrap that. Yeah. And I mean, Todd, if there could be a pharmacist that a patient could go to, just like they're talking about with OUD to initiate Suboxone, that a patient could go to and say, I was just cut off my medicine. I'm on 200 MME a day. I have one day left. What, what do I do? There has to be another solution other than going to the ER and then get treated like a piece of garbage and have the police called on them because that that is what happens sometimes. So yeah, that would be amazing. I think pharmacy has to be a big part of this solution. They have to be because they're that middleman. They're the ones a patient is going to go to and say, what do I do? I'm out of my medication. I don't know what to do. So, Claudia, yeah. has the DEA's um, um, presence in this topic 
Has it changed based on administration in the White House or does it not change? Is it always kind of the same way where they're really not clicking or do you see a difference in administration in the way that the DEA has helped people? I know that they're not setting out uh, tents in a park saying, uh, come to the DEA tent. We want to help pain patients. Obviously, they're not doing that. But are you like, are they, does it change with administration? Uh, no, everybody's afraid of the DEA because nobody wants, and senators are afraid. And I've been lobbying for a DEA oversight hearing. These senators, they're all afraid because they don't want the DEA to plant drugs in their car and their homes. And as a former court reporter, I can assure you this happened. So, no. Uh, nothing seems to change with any administration, uh, the CDC, the DEA, these are rogue agencies. And if the senators or any of these committees do get some uh, media coverage, right, raising awareness to, they are rogue agencies. I mean, look what the CDC did this pandemic, right? But very few people are willing to take them on. So I haven't seen I, I don't see anybody ever discussing the DEA. Yeah, that's just it. So when I think of um, my children's school and school district, when I think of um, publications that I've worked with and even pharmacies that I've known about, there have been people inside every single organization that I just mentioned that spoil the apples for the rest of the good apples within those organizations. And I'm wondering people that are there, there have to be people in the DEA that are very much aware of what people are going through with true pain that are probably also silenced within their own organization. Oh, of course. Oh yeah. I've connected. Yeah. I've still, I've spoken with a few agents about this. You know, when you go into your pain doctor's visit, there's a 50% chance there's going to be an agent outside the doctor's office trying to interview you, right? Because they show up at people's houses all the time. And I spoke with a real dumb, dumb agent out of the Boston office. And she's like, oh, buprenorphine is very effective for pain. I said, where did you get your, where did you go to medical school? So uh, the, it's only a matter of time, Todd. I promise you, everybody will be affected. I advocated for a former Navy SEAL who has kidney stones, right? He was treated like a dog. And there's a there's a doctor on TikTok. He's like, well, why do you mind being compared to somebody with substance use disorder? Are you crazy? He lost clearance because he was documented as a drug seeker. So I promise you, if you're listening to this, it's only a matter of time before you or your loved one are affected. And that's including people at the DEA, people at the C. It doesn't matter because pain doesn't illness doesn't discriminate, right? It can, it's going to happen. It's just who's gonna, who it's going to happen to next. All right. This can't be the last one. I've said that to you before, Beverly, yeah. and I'm glad yeah. that you came back. But I want you thinking of ways that pharmacists can help you. Um, I'll start, um, for example, we go to national conferences that are all pharmacists that show up there. The APHA, for example, the American Pharmacists Association, their annual, I think, is usually in either February or March every year. Uh, the NCPA, the National Community Pharmacists Association, is always in October, so we'll be going there October 14th. But the reason why I mention these organizations is they are, those organizations want the patient's voice. So because I have connections to them, 
I'd like to make some email introductions to each of these organizations for you because okay. sometimes they do webinars on patient, um, kind of like um, from a patient's perspective, for example. So I kind of want, but the reason why I'm saying this out loud, there are listeners that are listening that are in their car right now, or they're walking their dog, or they're exercising, they're doing something. Thanks for listening, by the way. Um, and they they want to help. So they have access to their state associations. They know DEA agents. They know people in their government um, that, you know, that they can connect people with. And that's what this is about. So if you're listening and you actually care, and even if you want to, if you want to go the route of debunking or you want to go the route of saying, um, sending me a message about Claudia and Beverly and why you disagree <laughs> with them, that's absolutely okay. I started yeah. this podcast off saying exactly that. There's absolutely not, there's nothing wrong with disagreeing. I still want answers. I still want solutions for pa right. people that are suffering with pain. That's the reason that I had both of you on today. But in, in closing, the two of you, this is your stage right now and, and you get the last word. Uh, support our Patreon page, donate, pick up merchandise. We need money. We need resources because we're the only two people in the United States who not only work with abandoned patients, but we have innocent physicians who are incarcerated. We've got to get them out and nobody cares. You know, once you get shipped off to prison, you're left. Nobody cares about you. So uh, please support our efforts. We're doing everything we can. Uh, we work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It never, our phone calls never end. And unlike other nonprofits, you know, people find their work rewarding. Uh, their only reward at the end of the day is if somebody doesn't blow their head off. So please support our efforts by visiting the doctorpatientforum.com. Support that Patreon page. Uh, support our efforts. And thanks yeah. for having us on, Todd. Oh, absolutely. Todd, I just wanted to say really fast, a lot of times people will say, oh, you, you say abandoned patients because you, your patient wants 100 milligrams and they're only getting 50. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about patients who can't find a doctor anymore. If you are diagnosed with chronic pain for any reason and you have ever been on opioids, a lot of times these patients can't even get to see a neurologist for CRPS or a rheumatologist for lupus. They can't find a doctor, period. We have this crisis of patient abandonment in this country. And I would love if pharmacists can work with us to help us come up with some sort of solution to help these people. You will continue to have our support. I just sent you a donation as Thank we're you, talking. Todd. You're Thank very you welcome. for your donation. And you. um, I expect more donations to come in from this amazing network of listeners that we have. Um, I appreciate both of you, Bev. It's so good to see you. Um, you we have to meet up someday. Um, Claudia, my godson plays for U uh, University of Connecticut uh, Huskies. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you're a Huskies fan. Of course. Yeah. My daughter wanted to go to UConn. She was, and she tells me every day, I wish I went to UConn. Go Jelani Stafford, number 97. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you for everything that you do. Um, we will uh, definitely be in follow-up and contact with you. But thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much. Bye, Todd. Thanks. Bye,